Hey there, thanks for joining me today for another episode of Lymphedema Podcast. My name is Betty. I'm a certified lymphedema therapist, passionate lymphedema advocate, wife, mother, and the voice behind Lymphedema Podcast. What began as a small passion project in 2019 to provide answers and explanations to people with the lymphatic disease lymphedema has now reached more than 75 countries. Whether you're a patient, caregiver, or medical professional, or someone interested in lymphedema, there is an episode here for you. Every week this season, there will be a new episode to help you learn more and navigate better your journey ahead. I am so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I created this podcast. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Welcome back for episode 99 of Lymphedema Podcast. We're going strong with important topics relating to life with lymphedema that are not often discussed for Lymphedema Awareness Month. Today, I am joined by a veteran fighting lymphedema. Often, it's her husband, Kelly, that we associate with this term or title of veteran fighting lymphedema. But Jen is also a Coast Guard veteran who is fighting lymphedema alongside her husband. Jen, welcome to Lymphedema Podcast, and thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks, buddy. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So I would like for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more um, about you. We probably know quite a bit about Kelly, if we're familiar with his social media platform or uh, many of his learn initiatives. Um, But I would like to learn a little bit about you, if you would share with us. Absolutely. Um, So I'm a, I'm a kid from Ohio and uh, went to Ohio state. And when I realized college probably wasn't The thing for me at the time to take a pause, uh, a friend encouraged that I go to the Coast Guard. And so I, within a month and a half, ended up in Coast Guard boot camp in Cape May, New Jersey, and thought it was a temporary thing. And then realized after four years that I could stick it out for at least another four. And 23 years later, I decided to retire. Uh, It was absolutely the best decision that I made for myself. And I met a lot of great people and experienced a lot of great things. And it was really a pleasure to serve my country. So, and it was also where I met Kelly. So it was, I often joke with him and say, I think I just joined the Coast Guard, like to meet you and for us to be destined to be together. So, so we have a good laugh over that. 23 years. That's a great career. Thank you for your service. Um, And thank you for finding Kelly. I think the two of you are a power couple. uh, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but um, being around you and Kelly in person and even just like some of the Zooms that we have been on um, together, uh, you guys, I don't know the way you like look at each other and talk to each other like Coast Guard or not. I think you guys would have definitely found each other because I definitely you are meant for each other for sure. Yes, we are. So you are the first spouse of someone with lymphedema that I've interviewed. And my intention with this episode is to share a glimpse into what living with someone with lymphedema is like for better or for worse, for sickness or for health. How did you initially respond to Kelly's diagnosis of lymphedema? Mm. Well, initially it took a long time to get to that road of diagnosis as I think most people with lymphedema find is that it's, it's not a quick and easy diagnosis. So when he initially became sick, it was trying to weed out the anthrax vaccination for his deployments over to the Middle East. Was it you know, something else? And 
So it's kind of ticking off those boxes of potentially what it is. Uh, it propelled me enough to go back to school at night, taking um, exercise and physiology and uh, all of those courses to figure out how the body works. And ultimately, he and I kind of deduced that potentially it was the lymphatics. And then he met with a GI doc who also had a suspicion that it was his lymphatics. Through that course, then ultimately it became identified, but that took several years. That took a lot of really kind of searching anything and everything and hitting a desperation point, which I think anybody who has a mysterious health issue kind of ends up traveling that, that journey road of where do I turn to next? So which stone can I turn over that will bear some fruit to help me propel down this path to an answer? So once it was diagnosed as lymphedema, it was almost a day to celebrate really of like, okay, I have this, this issue that nobody can seem to figure out what it is and feeling alone. And really once that diagnosis came, it was a confirmation that it wasn't just in his head, you know, and for me, I knew it wasn't because I saw him physically and kind of his day to day, but it really was, I think, an affirmation for him to say, listen, I have these issues. It's not in my head, even though a doctor really can't tell me what's going on. Uh, once it was diagnosed, then it, it was really kind of a day to celebrate. You said a minute ago in your introduction that you went to Ohio State and you realized that college wasn't for you. But then when Kelly was having these health issues, you went back to school to learn more. And I think that is the first statement of commitment to helping him find this out is that, you know, um, either, you know, school itself or the time to get a degree or, you know, whatever that may be, you, you put that aside. You said, Hey, I will go back night school. Um, I'm sure at this point you guys had a family. Uh, oh, yeah. We had probably had full-time people. jobs. Uh, yes. So going back to school, it sounds like, an, you know, oh, I just took some night classes. Uh, that was probably before online night classes. You probably had Correct. to go in person uh, and really dedicate a lot of your time. I wouldn't say extra time, uh, but time to go back and learn more. And I think that's just a really strong statement of your commitment to help Kelly fight this. Yeah. We were on our own and, you know, people at work and family members would ask, how can we help? And when you're struggling to figure out how to help yourselves on how do we navigate this? Because every day was a physical challenge and it, it seemed to progress just to get worse to where he couldn't physically go to work. And so I'm going to work and coming home and he tried to do what he could through the, through the day, whether it was, can he keep the house clean? Can he, can he fix breakfast? You know, making sure that at the time, our young son, Jake off to school and get him back from school and homework and that kind of thing. So really just day-to-day tasks was a challenge for him. And so you add to that, this unknown of like, okay, where do we push next? Who do we talk to next? Like, how do we, okay, do we look at food lifestyle, right? So do we take macrobiotic cooking lessons? So, you know, do we go find this holistic practitioner and, you know, what can they do for us? So it was constantly looking for resources, but at the same time, when 
people would ask wholeheartedly, what can we do for you? I think you're in that point where it's like, I honestly have no clue. Like I'm just living kind of day-to-day moment by moment and trying to figure all this out. And to be honest, I'm also kind of a person that growing up, one of the beliefs is if you can't handle it yourself, then there's an element of weakness there. And so it took a lot to get through that and work through that on, I'm not weak if I ask for help. And so I did have to learn also to how to let other people in and, and kind of share some of that burden of, you know, can you, can you do this? A lot of people have opinions on how to help and, Oh, have you thought of this? Have you, have you looked at this? Have you tried this? Have you done this? And even when you express that you have, and that didn't seem to work, you know, it, it just sometimes felt like they weren't really listening to all the endeavors that you've navigated through to be able to get to, okay, what's that next nugget that's going to propel me down the path of exploration of finding and discovering what this thing is and how to live life with this now. So, um, gotten a little off track, but it just, it's been, it's been an interesting journey to, to say the least. I find myself really connecting with um, a lot of the members of the lymphedema community who just feel overwhelmed and like they can't ask for help. And I want to just encourage anyone who's listening um, as a spouse or partner of someone with lymphedema, even if it's just, Hey, you know, it would be such a huge help if you could bring by dinner one night or it would be such a huge help if you could pick up my kids from school. Um, if, a, if a friend is offering you that, even if it's just something really tiny that you're thinking, I can totally do this. It'll be no big deal. Just giving yourself an extra 20 minutes out of the day, just allowing them in to help you. They really do want to help. I just uh, want to encourage anyone who might be like me that has a really hard time asking and or accepting help. Um, people do want to help you. And I think that that's been made clear um, before, but there's also the element of, you said it again, or a second ago, that you may have told people the laundry list of things that you have already done, the stones you've uncovered, the uh, experimental things you've looked into and they're going, oh, but have you tried to eliminate salt out of your diet? Or, you know, something that sounds really silly and you're like, yes. Right. I've done right. that plus 25 things and, you know, 25 varieties of salt. I've removed them from my diet. There are going to be people, the only way they think they can help is by offering you this really Captain Obvious answer. And you're going to go, oh, I have not thought about that. And they're going to feel like they saved your day and just say, you know, I'll look into it and just kind of go on. Cause sometimes the suggestion is so silly that you're like, of course. That was like right. the top three things we looked into. Yeah. And that was funny enough, one time at a leadership kind of coaching session was, you know, people want to give you advice because really they want to help out and it's from their own experience, right? We want to share our experiences with things. And it was like a one minute activity to to where you walk up and you ask this person for, okay, um, I'm looking for information on lymphedema. Go give me, give me your experience and your reference material in a one minute period. And so they would give you all of that information within one minute and you would say, thank you. You wouldn't try to rebut it. You wouldn't try to say you've tried it and decline it. You wouldn't say anything other than that's great information. Thank you. And then the other person, and then you'd flip, you'd share. So 
after that exercise, I really took away with, I think oftentimes when we talk to people and they're like, oh no, I've already tried that. You discount it. Well, you're in a different place, a different time, a different. So things that might have seemed irrelevant at the time or that you tried, then you never know a year or two from now, something could be different. And so I just really walked away with a nugget of just, all you have to do is say, thank you. You don't have to say why it'll work for you or why it won't work for you. It's just really a case of having gratitude that they were, they showed up and were willing to give you something from their experience as their contribution to you. And so that was a huge, a huge benefit for me. I think that's a great mindset to take because sometimes you want to have a little rebuttal or explain, or, I mean, maybe you just want to pick a fight with somebody. I don't know. You just kind of like, I'm so fed up with this whole situation. I'm going to unload on you. You poor innocent bystander who just wants (laughs) to help me. But if you just say thank you and walk away, you're less likely to kind of let that frustration overflow on them and you can, you know, go talk to a friend or someone who can, who you can confide in. Yeah. Cause you got a cap- captive audience at that point, right? If somebody's engaging with you on, Hey, ideally, I think you should try this. And then all of a sudden that anger flares and it's like, well, you obviously don't know that I've tried this, 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 and you know, and you go on and next thing you know, this river, this tide of anger is just flowing out because this is one person, in a long line of people who haven't effectively been able to help you and support you in the way that you need to be supported. And so they kind of become the target the unintended target, but it it does happen, right? I think any situation you could apply that to where this person um, kind of just throws things out there and you're like enough. And yeah, so you can have those moments. Yes, certainly. Did you have anger now or even before just navigating the diagnosis, the treatment? Oh, sure. Um, In the beginning, it was, I remember one day at work, uh, you know, work is always a, a go, go, go. And I'm, I'm a person who likes to function pretty highly at work and multiple tasks. And one day I had somebody just kind of react negatively to the support I was trying to provide them. And, and my supervisor came in and next thing you know, like I'm losing it in my cubicle. And he's looking at me with like this absolute fear and panic in his eyes. I'm like, what is happening right now? You know? And so I, I apologize. I said, you know, like, and they knew, they knew what was going on at home and, and his medical situation and the, and the lack of really direction that we had. And so absolutely there was, there was a lot of anger. And then, so a lot of it I did internalize because it was, I don't know how to share this. So it was for me, like I built a wall, like I had compartmentalized. And so it was really about, okay, I got to be able to function in my day. And so I do this and I get through and, and it became one of where you could be angry all the time or sad all the time. And it was, how do I, how do I live with this and not drown in it? Because he was drowning in it. And so I knew that I had to be strong in, especially in those moments that he wasn't. And so at one point we did joke because before we got married, he asked me, he said, you know, if I ever get really sick, would you, are you the kind of person that would stay or are you the kind of person that would go? 
And it was so odd. Like it stuck with me. Like, why would he ask me that? Like, I've never had anybody ask me that. And so we kind of joked about it in the middle of all this. I'm like, I was like, did you know this? Did you have a premonition that something was going to happen and it was going to test me on this statement? Right. And so, but through it, it did get dark. I mean, we talk about anger, we talk about sadness, but it did get dark in the sense of like, I did not know how to help him help him. You know, there were a lot of nights that he was awake in the middle of the night. And because I had to work the next day, I couldn't be up all night, every night trying to help him deal with his pain or whatever he needed. So our young son kind of became that for him. Like he would stay up nights and playing video games. And if Kelly suddenly had a full body cramp because he was cramping because his electrolytes are off because of the lymphedema, I, you know, he couldn't move. So he would, he would, yell out to our son or text our son, like, Hey, can you, can you bring me electrolytes? Can you bring me? And so it's just, it's this whole ball of emotions that it's sometimes hard to unpack. And you just kind of pack things away because what's, what comes next? Like, how do I navigate what comes next? And the other piece of it is, is that it was hard for me to be angry in his moments of anger because his moments of anger were visceral. And so I really had to be the sounding board. He wasn't really talking about what he was going through with anybody else. And if he did, he kind of had judgment come from them. And so I had to become hyper aware that I couldn't say things that came off as judgment or, well, are you doing enough for yourself? Are you, you know, so it was coming home, knowing that anger would be present for a, a good period of time for us because he really felt alone and kind of left out to dry. I mean, we were both high performers at work and suddenly now he's this person who like, it was a miracle he could get out of bed and function every day. Like there were times that I wasn't sure how he could do that. And so, but he pushed through and he would try to interact as much as he could through the day and force his body to move, even though it was painful for him. And so it wasn't just a physical thing. It was a psychological thing. And so it was just really challenging to see this person who, as we say in the Coast Guard world, he was a Coasties Coastie, meaning like he, he pushed, he persevered, he was the go-to guy. And then suddenly like it felt like that whole image of him disappeared in that day. And often um, our daughter talks about how um, the day that he had the surgery that kind of started this ball rolling of, of the lymphedema path was a day that he died and a new person was born. And so sometimes it's hard to figure out who that new person is through all that. And you have a really hard time giving up who you are or who you were in an effort to figure out who you are becoming and you resist it. So there was a lot of resistance, a lot of resentment, a lot of um, self-identification chaos because the strong person who could do all these things suddenly barely could get out of bed every day and was struggling for help. And so, yeah, anger and sadness were very, very present in our, in our partnership. I hear the echo of anger quite a lot when I talk to people and that has led me down this path of looking into the grief process of the lymphedema diagnosis and the psychological impact that it plays. And you just said something so profound and that your daughter has said, had said 
that, you know, the surgery that led to, you know, his complications with lymphedema, um, that surgical date is the day her dad died and a new dad, a different dad came home. That starts the, you know, the chain reaction of grief on so many levels. I mean, and you've hit it, the nail on the head to say that Kelly was grieving the man he was a strong, independent, supportive dad, husband, Coast Guard, you know, friend that Kelly was gone. And uh, I've seen, you know, him get really emotional about his really dark and difficult days. I just know that you have a lot to do with his being here today, Um, his commitment to you and his kids and to getting better and fighting so he could be here today. And it's a true testament that you have I want to say stuck with him. Yeah. I mean, it's a choice, right? You can choose to stay or you can choose to leave. Um, We have friends who have battled multiple rounds of cancer and spouses have left because after cancer round number two, they just cannot continue to endure what something like that does to a relationship and to the person that, because it's a relationship. It's not just the person who's dealing with it directly, right? It's it's the other person, the, the supportive, the spouse or partner or loved one who is there trying to hold and help the pieces come back together again, or what's the way forward. And so it's like, yeah, it's absolutely a choice to stay. And I never, never, ever considered that I would go anywhere that I would leave because of this. It was more of like, okay, how can we navigate this together? How can we, how can we tackle this? And you know, it's, it also has helped me personally, just because it helps me become more sensitive and navigate other people. Right. So I am now more aware of, I'm a better listener because people struggle with stuff all the time. And I think nine times out of 10, people just want to be heard. Lymphedema podcast is made possible by the support of Eros Medical, Bryland's Feet Foundation, Dr. Jenna Wishnu at Lamb Vascular and Associates, Juzo Compression, MediUSA, and the National Lymphedema Network. For more information and to browse previous episodes, visit the Lymphedema podcast website. And especially I see that in the lymphedema community because it's always chalked up as one thing or another and because there's not a lot of information, because there's not a lot of diagnosis, because there's not a lot of treatment that will cure it. So it becomes this lifelong thing. And so it lymphedema very much became like this third entity within our relationship. So it's not just Kelly and I as a partnership. Lymphedema has become a piece of that right? So it, it will forever be a piece. Now, how prominent that piece is, is whatever he's dealing with and, and also mentally what he's dealing with. But I learned along the way that I had to let him speak and I had to hear him out. And eventually when we started hanging out with friends, like he would take over the whole conversation and it was all about what he was dealing with. And, and so for a while, and I, I was honest with him, I'm like, I don't get a word in edgewise. Like, and it almost got to the point where I didn't want to hang out with friends because the conversation was always about him, you know? And I was worried that, oh my goodness, our friends are going to stop coming around because people do, people don't know what to do or how to help. And so it gets uncomfortable for them. Nothing gets a party started, like a talk about, lymphedema with you know, no cure, right. chronic, yes. progressive. So he wants to talk about cellulitis. We'll take shots every time we talk about Absolutely. cellulitis. Like 
Um, and you saying that it takes me back to the night I met you guys in new Orleans. Um, and Kelly had texted me and he's like, Hey, me and my wife are um, sitting down in the bar. You know, I'd love to meet you. Uh, I don't remember you saying anything now that you say that uh, I do remember, I do remember you saying stuff. I don't want to say that. Um, I don't remember learning about you. Um, and I don't, I don't want Kelly to listen to this later and go, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I never let her say anything. He introduced you. We talked, you shared, uh, you know, a little bit about you guys being there and, um, kind of your journey along with him. Uh, but I do remember we talked all about lymphedema, all about, um, pediatrics. Cause I was presenting on camp watch me because I'm this way with friends. I'm a walking billboard for lymphedema. I mean, I tell the dentist, I tell the eye doctor, whenever I get pulled over, I'm like, Hey, have you ever pulled anyone over wearing a compression garment? Like, you know, I just literally talk about it all the time. And I could imagine friends who I, I have a circle of medical field friends. So I've been, I could imagine like talking to my husband's sports broadcasting friends about lymphedema. And then they'd be like, we're not going over to Michael's house anymore because his yeah. wife is obsessively weird. Like, yeah. I also don't think many of Michael's friends come around and that might be why uh, I may have just discovered something, <laughs> but uh, yeah, nothing starts a party like talking about lymphedema. So I could see how that would be a fine line to walk. You want him to speak his truth and you want him to share about it. But at the same time, you're like, can you kind of hide the lymphedema today so we could just have friends come over and play skipbo or dominoes right. or something? That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. It's like, can we take that time out or that pause? Like, I swear we can get back to it afterwards, but like literally for that. And so I eventually got to cueing him if he had like gone for a long time, I'm good at picking up body language. So I can tell when somebody's glazed over and it's kind of like, okay, like I'm ready. I don't know how to eject from this conversation. Right politely. And so I would touch him like on the arm or I would try to interject to redirect and, and just to kind of shift the conversation without it being over. And, and he, we would have these conversations. I mean, we were open and honest with each other on, you know, I've said to him, like, you dominate things. Like everything has to be about lymphedema for you. And I said, I get it. Like, I totally understand that lymphedema doesn't have to be in every conversation that you have with everyone, right? And especially if they already know you're like, they don't want another 45 minute rehash, you know? But what that was is understanding really what the nugget of this is. He was not, and is like until the past couple of years was not heard. And I think that is so important with people that are struggling with finding out, like getting diagnosed or struggling with, I have no idea what's going on with me and doctors have no clue. And I think it's important because they don't feel heard. And so being heard, I really think is the most important piece. And so it's letting them kind of off gas, right? Like, and what I mean by that is those emotions, those frustrations, those not being seen. I think that's part of it too, is not being seen by the medical community, by the world, you know, lymphedemic communities, we often talk about obesity and how it, things are just kind of chalked up to your, well, you're obese. It's not necessarily lymphedema, you know, potentially how much could go undiagnosed that is really a, a lymphedema issue, but it's chalked up to obesity. That's kind of the, the first thing that we go to, you know, I remember he and I on a walk 
And he was wearing a t-shirt that I got for him at Mystic that had a whale on it. And we're walking and this gentleman walks by and he goes, <laughs> how appropriate. And I was like, what did he just say? And because Kelly would tell me stories of coming home from the grocery store or he was out with a friend and how openly people will ridicule or comment about, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be eating that. Oh, well, what do you mean you were in the military? Don't they have weight standards? Right. And so I'm like, are people really that just unthoughtful? Like, do you really have to spew this out of your mouth? And so I was kind of like, really? And so that day, like, I flipped around and he had to like, basically, he's like, no, Jen, don't. <laughs> and I was like, cause I was ready to like to take this guy down. I mean, even Kelly's recent doctor visit, like the doctor, the GI doc kind of padded, literally this was a month ago. The GI doc padded him on the belly, knowing full well Kelly's history with lymphedema. And he said, well, you know, if we could reduce a little bit of this and I can't, thankfully he was still drugged up after the procedure. I almost like came unglued. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, it's medical history. And you're, you're saying this thing, like, I really thought you'd be more conscious about what you say for your patients. Also became his, you know, like, what are you talking? And to me now, he, that used to be him. And he's like, Jen, Jen, calm down. And I'm like, no, that's total. No, that's, that's not acceptable. You know? And so he's like, I'm past that. Finally, you know, you, you don't have to be the guard dog anymore on what people say and do, but really the more important piece of it is those who are struggling with it need to be heard. And sometimes that's how it comes out is taking over a conversation or I want to be seen and heard. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the story and maybe I've heard it multiple times. And so that's a key awareness for me when somebody says those things or the story kind of keeps repeating is getting more curious about what's under those layers and how can I help in a way through active listening to make that person feel seen and heard. Because then I think it starts to heal pieces of that. It won't completely resolve the issue. But then um, my hope is that when the person walks away, they feel seen, they feel heard. And that maybe a little piece of them heals, even if it's for 10 minutes, that they, they were acknowledged and validated in where they are in that moment. So I want to make sure we hit all of our topics. I, you, we've already talked a little bit about your son um, and your daughter to an extent, um, in the home life and how Kelly would stay home and help the kids with school and homework and things. Um, you did share about the impact on your relationship and how you felt like lymphedema was like the third member, something specific there you would like to share or add. I do. I think communication in any relationship, especially when you have challenges like this is important. It's in, it's open and honest and sometimes gritty conversations and communication, you know, it's, how are you doing today? And I find myself kind of glazing over when it becomes a laundry list of like, I don't feel well here. And I don't think here. And, you know, he would, he would run his own personal tests on himself and like, not let me know that he was trying to purposefully break something in order to, you know, like in, with, internally with him. And so like, he'd be like rough. And I'm like, what are you, what's going on right now? Oh, well, I'm doing this. I'm like, why are you doing this? You know? And so it's that communication of like, I kind of need to know when you plan to do these things and when you, when you're here and even emotionally, you know, kind of picking up on like, what's going on. I need to check in with you. I need to. And so, um, and also me communicating to him that 
there were a couple of years where maybe he would have four good days a year four, and the rest were just like miserable. And so I knew at that point that the reason I had decided to retire when I did was basically I realized he would have five years left if the, the way that he was going health-wise, that he wouldn't last another five years. And so I wanted to at least have a couple of years where we could play or try to play. And what does that play look like in terms of impact of lymphedema? And so, um, so out of those four good days a year, it's like now he wants to catch up and do the things that he hasn't been able to do because he doesn't feel well. So it's interaction with the kids or he's off doing this thing or off doing that thing. And I'm like, um, hello, I'm right here. And like, I've been supporting you and propping you up and like trying to do these things. And so out of those four days, can I just, can I get a couple hours to where like, I get the, the healthy, the upbeat, the, like, I feel good part of you. And cause I, I welcome and I take on the other parts that don't, but can I just get a little more time of, of you? So it was really then a battle with trying to understand that, in those few days that he did feel good during those years that I also had to be conscious of the fact that he was missing out on big chunks of life and experiences. And so when he felt good, it's like he wanted to take on the world and do everything because he knew it wouldn't last. And so it was being able to have an honest conversation on like, okay, well, can I get two hours when you feel good, can you just, you know, cause then it's like selfish me, right? Like I just want two hours out of like these four days out of the year where like you just feel good and the heaviness of lymphedema isn't part of our two hours. And so conversation is a huge piece. And, you know, I think with anybody like in a relationship that deals with things, uh, intimacy is an issue, uh, just conversations, just the way he feels about himself and the way his body, because with the lymphedema, he's larger and he can't get smaller. So it's, it's dealing with somebody who now has uh, a struggle with body image. And so it's all that comes circles back to having constant, frequent conversations and checking in and really good communication. Thankfully, already show up in the world with communication is a value of mine. And so he is on the same page, but not every conversation, uh, not sorry, not every relationship has communication as a, as a top five value, right? Like it's really important for me to communicate with people and other people have a hard time with communication. So I think that adds to another element in a relationship where, you know, one person is, literally like trying to fight for their life and figure out like, how do I live a healthier life? How do I get help with that? And if you can't have a conversation or hard conversations or communication about anything, it really starts to degrade that relationship. And so I would say for me, that's one of the biggest things in for he and I is that communication. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice from those early days, what would it be? Mm, that's a good question. Mm, that's a thoughtful question. I think in the end, it's, it's going to be okay. Cause there were time periods that I was sinking and that's hard to sink when you still have to prop somebody up. I would say probably to, to that version of me is that 
try to live more in the present moment. It, there's always that, that fear, concern, or worry about what comes next or, you know, what's the next and what's on the horizon. And you, you kind of lose, you give away the present moment and it's really hard to be present in chaos. And so I would say that to my younger self, it will be okay. Even in the moments where it doesn't feel like it, it feels like you're going to lose, like the moments that I felt like I was going to lose him, like he was, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and I would potentially find him deceased in the bed next to me or, you know, my own struggles of like, I don't know how to help him. And so what ways can I help him? And even having the hard conversations of, I feel like I'm failing you. And sometimes you, the words that you use kind of indicates that you think I've failed you, that I'm not advocating for you enough, that I'm not supporting you enough. And so it's through all of that, that I would tell my, the younger version of myself that the present moment and that it will be okay. It may not be the way that you want it to come out, but really if you stay in more of a present moment and not the fear of what the future may or may not hold, that that's, that's the sweet spot is to, to get past that and be present as much as you can. Thank you. I'm trying to read this, but not glaze over the fact that you just dropped some really good bombs of wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. I mean, staying present is hard for anyone. Staying present when your future is undecided and your partner's future is undecided and your partner's next five minutes is undecided. It's hard. Yeah, super hard. And that's why it would be so helpful to rein back the what ifs, the worst case scenarios, and just, you know, sit there and be present and, you know, listen to him breathe and count his heartbeats, but in a thankful like way, not a, I'm waiting for it to stop. Yeah. You bring up a good point with that, Betty, is gratitude, right? Finding gratitude in the middle of a hurricane or a storm, right? Like how do you find gratitude when your world feels like it's literally being ripped apart and you do that in the small things. And, you know, I think the more that you reflect on gratitude and those things that you're grateful for during the day, I think kind of help build your raft back to float down the river of chaos another day. Right. So it's being grateful for those breaths, being grateful that, you know, he smiled once today or being grateful that, you know, we went a half hour today without a discussion about pain or struggle or frustration or, you know, those types of things. And so um, I think gratitude is a very, very big piece of, of that puzzle. There's so much more to this almost 20 year battle that you and Kelly have endured together that we can't dive into today just because it's really hard to talk about. 17 years of lymphedema and the time before his diagnosis in in a podcast. If others listening today want to learn more about Kelly's lymphedema story and his initiatives, how can they find him on social media? On social media, he identifies as a veterans fighting lymphedema on um, I think Instagram and Facebook. He also through Lymphopress does the monthly lymphedema patient roundtable, which is held the second Tuesday of every month at 8 p.m. Right now, those are the two main places that he can be he can be found and reached. I just want to thank you again, Jen, for joining me today. 
the stories of people battling lymphedema go way beyond the patient's name on a piece of paper. Entire families are impacted. Friendships are challenged and changed. And those people are often the ones who carry a silent but heavy burden for their loved one. It's really hard for them to say, I'm struggling. We talked about that earlier. It's hard to say, I need help when you clearly see that your loved one is physically suffering and you just want to say, Hey, I'll take this emotional load. I'll take this, you know, mental burden. You know, you don't want to talk about it because it's your, it's your person, the one that you love. Um, that's really feeling physical impacts. And they're also having emotional and mental, um, pain from their diagnosis. And I just think that this story, this perspective of a spouse of a lymphedema patient is important to share because we kind of talk around it, how the lymphedema patient needs support, how they need a, um, advocate in their life. They need a caretaker. Um, but it's hard to switch, um, from spouse, uh, to caretaker and maintain that role of spouse and balance all of those things. So I think that this is an extremely important topic to talk about. And thank you for being vulnerable. And thank you for letting us learn um, about you, Jen, um, as also another veteran fighting lymphedema. Thanks, buddy. Mother Teresa says, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you enjoyed learning more about the spouse partner perspective of lymphedema. Remember, if there's a topic you're looking for, the website has the full library of podcasts. Email me with your story if you would like to share lymphedemapodcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode. 